So as you guys know, it's been impending for a while now, that ominous date in early January called the Week of Prayer and Fasting that I just love so much. Uh, it's going to be fun to talk about today. I'm gonna get to, I get to set it up. It's going to be great. But before we do, we've got a bunch of booklets for you that are going to help you do this. So at the back already, they're starting to hand them out. So just be uh, cautious of that. They're going to hand them out now. Um, oh, and in the front too. Look at that. Uh, there are like 125 of these, so there should be enough for everybody. However, if you prefer PDFs, they're going to be going on in an email like right now-ish. <laughs> so you can have the PDFs if you prefer that. I know I do, so you don't have to take one if you don't like. Um, I had a bunch of things that we were going to go through together uh, in the first couple pages, but this wonderful projector from 1997 is not being very kind to us today. So... Uh, we can't do that. <laughs> so you're going to have to do a little bit of a exploration in the first pages on your own. Uh, one of the things I wanted to highlight to you, though, is that a couple pages in, now I forget what page it is, I think it's page seven or something, maybe page eight, there's a point where it's, uh, you can write down a few different things to pray for your church. And in that email coming out tonight, there's going to be five, the five top things that uh, you can be praying for for our church community specifically. So if, you've, if you don't get the church emails, they're great. <laughs> you should get them. They're very, uh, there's a lot of information in them. There's always a blurb that's very well written and thoughtful in them. So if you don't get the Every Nation emails, make sure you talk to the Connection Center and sign up for that because there's a lot of helpful stuff that comes out in there. And it'll be extra helpful tonight because it'll help you and uh, guide you along with this book a little bit. So as you can see, uh, there's a lot of different things to do sort of pre-fast. And uh, I did it just to time myself, and uh, I took it, took it seriously because I had the booklet before you, haha. <laughs> and um, so for how long that I, it took me to go through sort of the pre-fast stuff, it took me like half an hour to decently, thoughtfully go through the first seven or eight pages of just writing out what I hope to see and writing down a few things for the things I want to pray for, the people I want to pray for, going through that first pre-fast devotional. And so if you want to do that tonight, I would highly encourage you to do so. It's a good setup. And then, uh, and then there's just five days. There's day one, two, three, four, five, also in the book. And uh, those are great too. And so what we're going to have, and I'm really excited about this in particular for this year, is corresponding to each one of those days, uh, those little devotionals, is every night this week, there's going to be a totally optional prayer meeting happening at the Mitchell's house uh, in the living room. Every night from 8 to 9 for one hour, we promise, just one hour. Uh, in years past, we used to make like uh, different prayer nights. There was like, oh, there's the women's prayer night and the men's prayer night, and then the super, the super special prayer night at the end. We used to call it the prayer and fasting celebration, and then people would be like, well, I'll just go to that one, so I won't go to the midweek ones because we hyped it up more than the others. Um, we're trying something different this year. We're going to pray for one hour together uh, every night, and you can come to one or two or all of them. I'll be at all of them. Because uh, I want to pray every day for an hour at least, so I figure I may as well join lots of you for it. And um, I'm excited for these times. Uh, I think back to, uh, this is a story I just wanted to start off with, my, my message with actually, just to kick us off into this prayer and fasting season. Is there was, uh, there was a time in our church, well actually it was the very beginning of our church. I was like 12, I think. This is going back a ways. Uh, 17 years or something. And 12-year-old uh, me, uh, my it was kind of my first really memory of what church really was. I don't really remember church as a kid all that well. But 
uh, in this church plant, things were very real and they were very excited. And every single Friday night, it's going to blow your minds, every single Friday night, uh, probably 50 to 60 people, most of whom were in their 20s, on Friday night at 10 p.m. for like two hours, prayed. Uh, that was the beginning of our church. It kind of gave birth to what you see here 17 years later. There's all sorts of things that have happened in those years, but the foundation of it has, was really fervent prayer. And 12-year-old uh, me, man, I, I remember the first time that I like got some air time in one of those prayer meetings. It was loud and everyone was excited and it was shouty and there was so much faith in the room. And um, uh, I realized that those were really foundational times for our church, really, really important. Uh, something kind of sad happened in my heart, though, a little bit. I just wanted to just give you a window into that. That was my, I really enjoyed those times. And then over the next bunch of years, life and church happened. And when I, I just mean the messiness of just life and church. Maybe you know it well. And the things that we prayed for, we believed them fervently. Lots of those things happened. Lots of them didn't. Lots of them, I hope, don't happen, <laughs> the things we were praying for. Lots of the things that we're praying for, I hope, still happen soon. Um, but I was a teenager, and I wanted all those things to come true. Not only did I want all those things to come true, I wanted all of those people to be involved in those things coming true. And if both of those things didn't consistently line up all the time, I started to resent it. And of course, who am I to know like, we're praying in faith, right? And you're just, you're just confessing your heart. But in my naivety and immaturity, I, I thought we were just speaking what the future was going to look like. And a lot of those things, it was just a bump. It was bumpy life. The church happened. I'm grateful for it looking back. God's taken us on a cool journey as a church. I actually wouldn't change a thing. But me in that time, I realized how much I actually started to resent prayer because the what I thought was going to happen didn't always happen. And the people that I wanted to be involved, sometimes, like a lots of them aren't around anymore for lots of great reasons. And uh, I have, as I've been wrestling with preparing for this sermon and this week of prayer and fasting coming up and just the last few months of ministry and uh, we've been talking about prayer a lot and there's this little thing in my heart that kind of got unlocked going, I've stopped caring about prayer. I realized this, and it freaked me out. I realized I stopped caring about it. And as I delved deep into my heart, I realized it's because I shut that part of my heart off a little bit because I kind of resented all my dreams not coming true or something. Is that making sense? And so I stopped just, I stopped believing in the power of prayer because I put on to those times what I hoped happened, what would have happened or something. It's just immature. But as I've been realizing this, I'm coming to a place in my life and in ministry where I'm like desperate for God to do something that I can't do. I, the word that I've used in my own life these days is antsy. I'm so antsy for God to move and do cool things. and I don't know. And uh, I've been bumping up against a wall the last couple months. And maybe you can resonate. I'm telling you this so hopefully you can resonate with me. Is that I've been bumping up, a, up against a wall going, I have run out of things and talents and resources to see the things happen that I want to see happen. I'm like depleted. I, I have no more tricks up my sleeve. I have no more, I don't know, I have, no, I have nothing left to 
preach that I've never preached a million times. I have no back pocket pep talk for everybody. Like, I just have nothing left. And uh, prayer just keeps like this red blinking light. And by prayer, I mean, like, you need me. You're going to need me now. And so this, this week of prayer and fasting is very timely for me, personally, and I hope for you too, because I've never been more excited about what God wants to do. I, I, I know I say that a lot, but I really mean it every time I say it. <laughs> so I, I've never been more excited about what God wants to do in this next season. And the blessing in my life currently is I've never been more uh, reliant on, on God af- actually having to come through. There have been times when I've been excited in life because I know what I'm going to go do now. Like, oh, I'm really excited because I can see the lane I'm going to run in by my own strength, and that's going to be cool. Or I just got this new job, or I just got this new idea, or I just, just planned this new initiative, and I'm really excited to go do that thing. That's still true. <laughs> but for the first time in my life, I see all that stuff and going, wow, I have no idea how any of that's going to happen, but man, do I want to see it happen. So prayer's been bubbling up in my heart a little bit. And uh, the week of prayer and fasting is super timely. So um, I, what I want to do today is not super complicated. But I want to, uh, I want to start off with just a, um, just a, a super quick little uh, uh, Hebrew lesson on, on the word for soul. Okay? And this will make sense in a second. Uh, the word for soul in Hebrew is called nefesh. It's a great word. It's like, uh, it's used like 500 times or something in the Old Testament. Nefesh. Now, here's the interesting thing about nefesh is nefesh means, they use it for, like we translate it to soul a lot, but it's, the direct translation of the word nefesh is actually throat. Isn't that weird? They say throat. When we say soul, they say throat. The, 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 it's kind of like when we say like, hey, how's your heart? You know how we say that all the time, like, how's your heart? How's your heart doing? We don't really mean, like, how's your cardio? <laughs> we, mean how's, we mean something else. We mean how are you doing or something. We mean how's your feelings or whatever. In the same way, in Hebrew, when, if someone in Hebrew would say, how's your throat? <laughs> that means it's like, how are you? Isn't it interesting? They use throat as an analogy for the living, breathing you. Makes sense. It's a very important thing, your throat. Um... It's kind of, it's all that nourishes you passes through your throat. Because it makes sense. It's kind of just as arbitrary as why we use heart for heart, right? But it's, uh, I guess, it kind of makes sense. So throat, great. So this is what's interesting about that. As I was listening to this podcast on the word nefesh, and uh, the, 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 the guy who's leading the podcast is by the Bible Project. Maybe some of you have heard of this thing before. And he made the argument that in the Hebrew mindset, in the Hebrew mindset, Soul and body are not two different things. Uh, in Hebrew mindset, you are a soul. You guys, maybe, maybe you've all, we've all, I, I don't know, the way that I was raised is like, uh, maybe accidentally, I don't know if anyone actually told me this, but I, I have this impression of a soul being somehow trapped inside my body, right? Like you have a soul that's somehow confined to this stupid thing, and one day it's going to be set free from this. Uh, that's actually not found in the Bible ever. It's not in there. Uh, You just are a soul in the in the Hebrew mindset. It's kind of interesting, right? So it's it's what's called Platonic philosophy, like Plato. He he was the guy that kind of said, oh, it's called dualism, where you have a, you know, you have your body and then you have your soul. That was Greek philosophy. It wasn't actually biblical teaching. 
I suppose was helpful for some kind of analogies for them or something. But uh, in the Hebrew mindset, uh, we are a soul. So if we are a soul, and that there's actually no difference between, like, we're just a nefesh. <laughs> I love that word. We're just a nefesh. We are a living, breathing soul. It makes fasting uh, way less metaphorical, if that makes sense. Uh, denying yourself food is like, it's not, just, it's not just denying your body something so you can remember the other real part of you is more important. It's like, no, no, no. If we are a soul, God is actually sustaining all of me, not, this, not just the soul part of me. Maybe that's a little tricky, and I apologize if it is. But I find it helpful, because I always thought that fasting was like this cute thing, this cute metaphorical thing we did that reminded us that we have a soul too, and you feel hungry, and you're like, oh yeah, I also have a soul. But in the Hebrew mindset, fasting is going, I'm denying myself uh, something that nourishes me so that I can remember the actual thing that makes me tick in every sense, which is God. Like my actual real nourishment. Okay? It's kind of an interesting thought, I think. So this is, let me just read Psalm 42. Maybe you guys have heard this. It's a very famous psalm. It's as the deer pants, right? So I'm going to read it. Uh, I'm going to read it with the word soul, and then I'll read it with the word throat. It's kind of funny. <laughs> as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? All right? Now I'll replace it with throat. As the deer pants for water, so my throat pants for you, my God. My throat thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just being a little cute right now. But I've, I kind of like, I, it helps me to go, my actual throat, like my, my actual person is craving God. It's not a metaphor. So the implication is if we are a soul, God is our sustenance in ways food can't even touch, not metaphorically, but actually physically. Here's uh, Matthew 6. This is Jesus speaking. We've heard this before too, I'm sure. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So there's this theme where Jesus is, even Jesus is saying, your life is more than food. So here's why I think he was saying that. Back in the day, food, like equals life in ways that we probably don't really understand anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we could just go to the supermarket, and we don't really think a lot about food or whether I'm going to have it today. Like, that's not, a, that's not a reality we live in. It's like, oh, worst case scenario, you to go through McDonald's drive-thru. That's the worst case scenario. Uh, uh, but back in the day, you live for food. Like, you don't, there's no fridges. Like, you... you it's a very, it was way more important. I mean, we still eat, but and it's a, it was more of an idol, I guess. Because you could very easily live your life in biblical times only thinking about food. And that was probably a smart way to live. I just want to make sure I'm fed today, right? Logical. And the clothes thing too, we can resonate a little more with this, but clothes equals life, like then, even more than it does now. Like we think about it in terms of fashion and like what should I wear to put on a certain aura. But back in the day, it's like, oh, no, no. Uh, clothes is status in ways that, like, even more than it is today. Clothes, like, you dressed for the job. You, like, it was very, very particular. And Jesus is saying, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So, again, if we are spiritual beings, food and clothes 
are way less important. I think what Jesus is trying to say here is that the things of this world are way less important. So the question I wanted to ask is, what are your food and clothes in this example? What are the things that you naturally gravitate to to uh, satisfy your throat? <laughs> I know there's so many metaphors, right? I apologize, but try to stay with me. Is that uh, what are the things that you are tempted to be sustained by. And if you didn't stop and think, you would be just fine. That's the freaky part for me. Uh, I don't stop and think about what actually nourishes my soul very often. I don't stop to think about what actually nourishes me as a person very often. And when I don't stop and think about it, you just kind of carry on and it's just food and clothes. So what is the, what is the worldly sustenance in your life? And so for us, it's probably not food. That's a pretty easy one for us. Uh, I think it looks a whole lot more like idolatry for us in ways that are really, really sneaky. Worldly sustenance of success or worldly sustenance of power or of relationships or worldly sustenance of, yeah, identity found anywhere but Christ. It's tempting for me. So I would argue that... Uh, in this week of prayer and fasting, perhaps God is trying to dethrone my worldly sustenance. He's trying to dethrone it for a minute. And the question that begs to be asked is, is like, why would you need to dethrone it? Why? Why would you need to dethrone it? So this is kind of the point uh, for me today. And it's quite simple, but I don't know about you, but uh, the worldly sustenance in my life is not adequate for the issues that God's put on my heart. For the things that I feel like God wants to do, uh, the things of this world are not sustaining me. They're not enough. And uh, we, and maybe perhaps you read the, in the home feed or in the email this week, um, uh, the blurb was about uh, God-sized problems. And our community, I believe, is being called into God-sized problems. And I find God-sized problems very uncomfortable. And this is what I feel like these days. Is God's like, he's beginning to show me little glimpses of God-sized problems and the things that are on his heart, the things that he's hoping for, the things that he wants to see through our community, the things that he would want to do through us. And as I'm, gl as I'm glimpsing at that stuff, I'm like, wow, I, uh, I'm just, the things that are sustaining me aren't capable of actually being part of that plan. So we had this, uh, we had a very encouraging meeting on Saturday morning with some of the, the young adults of our church and people from our campus ministry. And I was so encouraged by, uh, by it. And at the end of the night, we had, at the end of that breakfast, we had this prayer time and people just started speaking out different prophecies that they have and things that were on their hearts. And the things that were, were being said were just so, oh man, like uh, huge. <laughs> and and I, I listen to things that are being said, like God wants to use us to see, you know, things like movements and people movements and uh, disciples who make disciples and God changing cities and using words like nation and waves and like all these amazing things. And, uh, and I've been realizing that um, I've, I've stopped dreaming about that stuff, not because I don't want to see it happen, but because I've mostly just been relying on earthly 
worldly sustenance. And when I do, all those things seem really silly. They just seem silly to me. And uh, what I had, what I've realized is that when I, you know how I told you about kind of locking off the power of prayer a little bit in my own life? Uh, that what I actually ended up doing was, was I stopped being able to dream because God stopped being my sustenance and stopped being the thing that was feeding my soul. And I didn't actually need his power to do anything. And then those prophecies that really blessed my heart, those prophecies just start to sound more and more silly and more and more, I don't know, like they could never happen. So I've been really wrestling with this. So food and clothes, as it were, are not working for these God-sized problems that I think he's giving our community. So question for you, is your, uh, is, your, is your nefesh, is it thirsty or is it fine? For a lot of years, mine's been fine. It's kind of freaking me out. For a lot of years, the, the week of prayer and fasting was this thing we kind of had to do. And if God wanted to speak to me, cool. But uh, he didn't have to. <laughs> it was just kind of a thing that we did. But these days, I'm like, oh my goodness, there's this window of what God wants to accomplish through our community and through your, through your lives. And it's, and it's pointing, I'm, I'm looking through that going, uh, oh my goodness, I'm thirsty. I'm so thirsty for you. I'm, I need you to move so bad. I need to walk hand in hand with you. These God-sized problems. So is your nefesh thirsty? Is it thirsty? Uh, and if it's not... If it's not, if this week of prayer and fasting perhaps feels a little token to you, or like maybe nothing really very much will happen, or it's not all that important, um, the question I would ask you is, are the problems in your life, are the things that you hope to see happen, uh, are they ones that only you can solve? Because that would make sense. That would make sense if those, if those problems were small enough, you wouldn't need to fast. You wouldn't need to be reminded of how much God is required for what's supposed to happen. So that happens to me, that's been happening to me this week so much, is my, uh, my heart is resonating so much with what God would want to see accomplished, and he's giving me these God-sized problems, and then he's at the same time saying, I'm the only sustenance possible. So, I find myself quite, quite desperate these days. And the thing that I wanted to encourage you with just, just lastly was, um, I think we were designed to have God-sized problems. I think we were designed for it. It blows my mind all the time that God would want to use his church to advance his kingdom. That God would pick us to see something happen. That God would use people just like you and me to be the front lines of his kingdom. And that takes tons of faith for me to believe that that's actually the plan. And, uh, but I think we were designed for it. And I'm going to repeat myself a little bit from what I shared at, at chapel on Friday. Uh, but uh, I got to stand in front of a bunch of UBC students on Friday and just share my heart a little bit about what I hope to see on, on that campus. And I believe that, that there's this lie that we're believing, or at least that I've believed, is that uh, having God-sized problems and dreaming about what he dreams about is somehow bad news to us. That it like requires more effort on our part. That it squashes our own dreams somehow. That it... Uh, that it gets in the way of the things that we hope to see happen, and that God-sized problems are just uh, an inconvenience. Does anybody else feel like this? Maybe I just grew up in the, I, 
where this whole make disciples thing feels like this annoying thing we have to go also do. <laughs> like we do church and it's fun and we have communities and it's super great and we get blessed by these things. And, uh, and then there's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, go make disciples as well, right? Shoot. Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> and I feel like that all the time. It's this annoying add-on. And I've wrestled for so long going, God, why do you, why do you make this our problem, to put it cynically? Why do you make this our problem? Why can't you go do stuff? And then I just read in the end of Matthew, it's better that I go and give you the Holy Spirit to continue the work that I started. Does anybody else have a hard time believing that sometimes? <laughs> that it was better that he goes? That it was better that he would use us? I have to believe, and I've come to, that he would love us so much to invite us into his problems. Into the, no, That's a weird way to say it. Um, that he loves us so much to invite us into the things that he longs for and to use us. And uh, if we're, we're designed to have these God-sized problems, not because it's some add-on he needs us to do, but because he loves us so much. And I would argue that as that picture becomes clearer and clearer of what God is hoping to see happen, as it becomes clearer and clearer of going, wow, and you get to be in rooms like I was on Saturday where you just see a picture of what God would hope to do. And it, and it points to him. And it points to him needing to be our nourishment. And it points to him needing to be the source of everything that we do. And uh, so I would invite you in this next, in this, I don't know, this next couple days to ask God what that thing is that requires him. What is that thing in your life that he's asking you to do that actually requires him to be your sole source of nourishment? And then fasting is a really helpful way to remember that it is. And it's a, uh, as we pray and as we, as we experience that hunger, it's a, great, it's a great analogy for the things that we hope. Um, it's a great reminder of, of, of how he needs to come through for us. But spend some time asking yourself, what is that thing that actually requires him? What is that thing that's outside of my skills? I can think of a million things. And uh, I think as we, as we are a praying church this next week, as we're a praying church, my hope is, is that God would give us a window into his heart, not only for the, what, it, what it can accomplish, but for the gift that it is to us to actually participate in it because he would love us so much to invite us into it. And just to encourage you, uh, I feel as though the, the, the word that was said on Saturday, and I'll just say, share it for you, this, this, this little thing, it was like, get ready. I love that term, get ready. And uh, again, as soon as I hear this, in my mind I'm going, yeah, I've heard that before. <laughs> I've heard get ready before. But I've been realizing that that cynicism in my heart mostly has to do with me not having God as my sustenance. And when God is not my sustenance, I have every reason to be skeptical about every prophetic word. Right? If God is my sustenance, if, if, if I am my own sustenance, I have every reason to roll my eyes at everything that people would say they hope to see happen. Because yeah, if it's about you, that is a long shot. But guys, I just... I mean, I look around this room and I see your faces and, and, and the longings that we have as a church and the people that we hope to see come to know him and the love that he has for all of us that we long to share. And uh, 
And I, I, look at, I, I look at the people in this room, and I'm just like, God, please move. Please move in hearts. Please, please move in ways that only you can. And so this week, perhaps, is about uh, dreaming big again. That's what it is for me, and I'll invite you into that too, if you'd like. If it's something else, that's fine too. But for me personally, this week is about dreaming big again, that God would move. And man, having those dreams, they just require so much prayer, and they require so much fervency, and they require so much of him. And so I'll invite the worship team to come back up. And then uh, I'd like to start us off in, uh, in prayer for this week. And um, in fact, can we actually just stand for a minute? So, Yeah, Father, we come before you as a people who are, uh, who are nourished by you. We come before you as a people who are desperate for your presence, who are desperate for you as our sole source of love and motivation and security and significance. So God, as we fast this week, uh, would it be a reminder of, of the immensity of, of how much you hope to see happen through this community? And God, I just, we, we dare to dream for you to move. We dare to dream for you to do something miraculous that only you can do. We dare to dream about things that actually require you. So God, as we give up this uh, food or whatever it is this week to remind ourselves that you're our nourishment, God, would you plant in hearts now the ability to dream again about things that we've longed for, be it names and faces of people we long to see come to know you, be it breakthrough in lives, be it strongholds that we've seen stand for a long time. But God, would faith rise up in our hearts? Would faith rise up by your spirit to believe for something greater. God, we need your help to have faith for these things. We need your help to have faith for this because God, by our own strength, we know that we are just so incapable. So this week, this week, we choose to remind ourselves about the rightful place that you have in our lives. We choose to remind ourselves about the true source of all that can change and all that can grow and all that can renew and all that can sustain. And as we do, God, would you give us a window in what you hope to see? And would our cynicism and would our, 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 our realism be quenched not by hype, but by a faith in a God who is powerful, by faith in a God who is love, by faith in a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. I pray that times this week with you would be sweet, that your presence would be tangible, that you would come close to us, and then we wouldn't see mission, the things that the things that we hope to see happen, we wouldn't see them as burdens, but we'd see them as just opportunities to walk closer with you and to require more of you and to need you as our sole source of nourishment, Father. Thank you for the faith that's in this room. 
that it will be expressed. And God, I ask that as we fast, that you would uh, nourish us in ways that we haven't been nourished and that food never can. Thank you for the gift that you give us in this way. Amen. So as we worship in response, we're going to sing a few songs, and I know there's no words probably. Um, uh, so if you know the songs, you feel free to sing them out. If you don't, uh, this is an opportunity to have a moment with God and go, uh, Father, what are, you, what are you asking me? What are you asking me to center myself on? The first song we're going to sing, which is an amazing song just to be thoughtful along to, is Jesus at the Center. And when I sing Jesus at the center, sometimes I'm going, man, I'm not sure if he has to be sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I feel totally fine. But as I sing this song, and I, as we've sung it before, and Jones introduced it a few months ago, and as we've sung it, I'm going, oh, man, when you're at the center, what is possible? Not only in my life, but in life of people around me. And we're going to sing a song called Hosanna. And there's a, there's a line in this song that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. And as that happens, oh my goodness, does he ever become so important? And, uh, and finally, we'll sing, oh, praise. And uh, just to end off this, 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 or to kick off, rather, this time of going, praise you for who you are and for what you've done and for the cross and for the, and the, for the power that it has. And so... We'll sing a few songs. If you know the words, sing along. If you don't, just be quiet and think along. And uh, ask God to speak to you in this time. He's here. And what a better way to start off a week of prayer and fasting than from hearing from him already. Well, what a bullseye could be for you.